You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to St. Timothy. This saying is trustworthy. Whoever aspires to the office of bishop desires a noble task. Therefore, a bishop must be irreproachable, married only once, temperate, self-controlled, decent, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not aggressive, but gentle, not contentious, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children under control with perfect dignity. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of the church of God? He should not be a recent convert so that he may not become conceited and thus incur the devil's punishment. He must also have a good reputation among outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, the devil's trap. Similarly, deacons must be dignified, not deceitful, not addicted to drink, not greedy for sordid gain, holding fast to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Moreover, they should be tested first. Then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Women, similarly, should be dignified, not slanderers, but temperate and faithful in everything. Deacons may be married only once and must manage their children and households well. Thus, those who serve well as deacons gain good standing and much confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing you about these matters, although I hope to visit you soon. But if I should be delayed, you should know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Undeniably great is the mystery of devotion, who was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed to the Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Ignatius of Antioch, Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much for joining me once again on uh, the Catholic Fragments podcast. What a joy to be with you. I'm Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and today I want to feature one of the second generation followers of Christ, St. Ignatius of Antioch, and just a couple excerpts. Uh, from uh, among his seven letters that he wrote en route to his martyrdom in Rome. In particular, an excerpt from his letter to the Magnesians, uh, circa 110 AD, uh, as well as uh, a letter to the Smyrnians around the same time. So 
um, in these letters, he has a lot to say about unity in the church and what is the principle of unity in the church. As we heard in the letter of St. Paul to St. Timothy, the bishop, uh, in Greek, episkopos. Uh, the bishop is the, the center and principle of unity in the church. Uh, in particular, the bishop of Rome, the successor of St. Peter. But before St. Peter was bishop of Rome, he was bishop of a place called Antioch. And St. Ignatius uh, was the third bishop or patriarch in the city of Antioch after St. Evodius who was the immediate successor of St. Peter. And according uh, to uh, an account um, within the tradition of the church, St. Ignatius was a hearer of St. John the Apostle and Evangelist. He knew him. He heard him speak and teach. St. Ignatius is a second-generation Christian who died again circa around the year 110 AD. Um, I know that Years ago, when I was really trying to get a clearer understanding, uh, and I still am, I always seeking a clear, clear, the clearest understanding of the truth. But even years ago, I'm wondering about um, were there bishops in the early church? Were there priests? Were there deacons? Uh, well, we heard in the letter of Saint Paul to Saint Timothy, three distinct offices again in the Greek: episkopos, which could be translated bishop; uh, presbyteros which can be translated presbyter uh, or loosely priest. And the third, diakonos, can be translated deacon. So even in the generation of St. Paul, there already were these ecclesial offices taking shape. The second generation, St. Ignatius, has much to say about these three offices. And I'm going to read a couple passages here, uh, which he's using the same Greek language, uh, to talk about these different offices uh, in the church. So uh, in his letter to the Magnesians, he writes, Take care to do all things in harmony with God, with the bishop presiding in the place of God, and with the presbyters in the place of the council of the apostles, and with the deacons who are most dear to me, entrusted with the business of Jesus Christ, who was with the Father, from the beginning and is at last made manifest. So it's very important for us to study the history of the church. What happened uh, after the book of Acts of the Apostles? What happened with that next generation of Christians? We have much evidence to know what was going on in the church and what exactly they believed about church authority, church leadership the sanctification of the faithful through the sacraments. It's very evident from Scripture onward. So this passage is very telling. Uh, and I want to read <clears throat> another one similar to it um, from St. Ignatius's letter to the Smyrnians, where he says, You must all follow the bishop as Jesus Christ follows the Father, and the presbytery as you would the apostles. Reverence the deacons as you would the command of God. Let no one do anything of concern to the church without the bishop. Let that be considered a valid Eucharist, which is celebrated by the bishop or by one whom he appoints. Wherever the bishop appears, let the people be there. 
just as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. In Greek, he katholike ecclesiae. So this is amazing uh, to read this language around the year 110 AD. There we have reference to the church as, as the Catholic Church, katholike, which comes from uh, this prefix kata, meaning according to, and then holos, the whole, the church of the whole world. There's no denominations at this point. There is different liturgical rites, whether in Alexandria, Antioch, Jerusalem, Rome. But the whole church is, is referred to from very early on, the Catholic Church, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, as will be articulated through the councils of Nicaea in 325 in Constantinople and 381. So what we're doing here in this podcast is a little study in ecclesiology. How is the church ordered, structured, and uh, governed from the beginning? And how? what's the continuation of that to this day? A, a doctrine of the Catholic Church apostolic succession has happened uh, since the time of the apostles when they laid hands on other men to take their place. And, uh, and the office is called episkopos in Greek, uh, we say in English, bishop. Uh, so these are the kind of texts that uh, years ago uh, helped to solidify uh, my faith in the Catholic Church and the teachings of the Catholic Church. I see the continuity of truth from Christ to the present. And a voice like St. Ignatius of Antioch is very helpful for this. One other passage I want to look at here uh, concerns the Eucharist. And this is also in his letter to the Smyrnians. Again, he's writing this, he's a prisoner, and he's being taken uh, from Antioch to Rome, where he would die in a Colosseum, uh, eaten by lions. And uh, St. Ignatius is very courageous by the grace of God through this whole ordeal, uh, and he says, may I be ground up uh, in the teeth of the beast uh, as I consume our Lord, his true flesh and true blood in the Eucharist. It's very mystical things he says in some of these letters. Um, and I want to I raise the question of the Eucharist. What did Jesus do at the Last Supper? As his followers, we really want to know the truth about this. Um, was w what's going on with this bread and wine when he says, take this all of you need it, this is my body, which will be given up for you. Uh, take and drink from this chalice, this is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. What does he mean? How did the apostles understand what he meant? How did the second generation Christians understand what he meant? Here we have the third Bishop of Antioch, St. Ignatius, who knew St. Peter, who knew St. John, who knew the apostles who were at the Last Supper and heard their testimony in person. And here's what he has to say about the Eucharist. Take note of those who hold heterodox opinions on the grace of Jesus Christ, which has come to us 
and see how contrary their opinions are to the mind of God. So heterodox opinions is not in accordance with the truth. It's off, off base. Not what Jesus taught, not what he handed on, not what the, the bishops teach that are guarded uh, by the charism of infallibility and God the Holy Spirit guiding them in all truth. He goes on to say, For love, the heterodox, have no care, nor for the widow, nor for the orphan, nor for the distressed, nor for those in prison or freed from prison, nor for the hungry and thirsty. Allusion to um, the Gospel of St. Matthew chapter 25 and what the Catholic theology calls the corporal works of mercy. Uh, the, the heterodox, those of heterodox opinion, abstain, abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ. Flesh which suffered for our sins and which the Father in his goodness raised up again. St. Ignatius is very emphatic, emphatically clear what he believed what was handed on to him about this Last Supper that was uh, reenacted over and over in the liturgy of, of the church, whether in the homes, in the catacombs, that they believed this is the real flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. He says about the heterodox, they who deny the gift of God are perishing in their disputes. It would be better for them to have love so that they might rise again. It is right to, to shun such men and not even to speak about them, neither in public nor in private. So it's a very dangerous thing um, in the early church and even to this day to profess something contrary to the living tradition of the church, what was handed on to, from Jesus to the apostles, from the apostles to their successors, and every successive generation since then. This is the truth. This is the truth. We want to get at this truth that sets us free. And I, I love sharing about St. Ignatius of Antioch. These are just a couple fragments I wanted to share from his, his writings uh, to encourage you to read him more. These are accessible online. Uh, there's not a lot of writings by him. Uh, but these are verified by the best of scholars to come from his, his uh, mouth around the year 110 A.D., we want to know the continuity of faith uh, from Jesus to the apostles up to the present in the church today. It's very clear if we take time to study, if we take time to gather up the fragments of truth, we more and more approach the whole, which altogether is the truth, Jesus Christ, who sets us free. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness 